I learned that if I'm not feeling afraid, every day of my life, I'm stagnating. I just don't let that fear stop me. I look at it and say, okay, you're, you're afraid, Frank, because you're contemplating a big change or challenge. You're, you're contemplating a risk in your life. Don't let the, the, the sensation of fear that sets in once you think about taking a risk, and it can be that the risk associated with getting over your adversity, stop you. Hello and welcome to The Daily Helping with Dr. Richard Schuster. Food for the brain, knowledge from the experts, tools to win at life. I'm your host, Dr. Richard. Whoever you are, wherever you're from, and whatever you do, this is the show that is going to help you become the best version of yourself. Each episode, you will hear from some of the most amazing, talented, and successful people on the planet who followed their passions and strive to help others. Join our movement to get a million people each day to commit acts of kindness for others. Together, we're going to make the world a better place. Are you ready? Because it's time for your Daily Helping. Thanks for tuning into this episode of the Daily Helping Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Richard, and we have an amazing guest to share with you today. His name is Frank McKinney, and he's been described as a modern-day renaissance man who's pushed the limits of success in every endeavor. Today, Frank's life is a testament to the power of aspiration to create a completely new reality. As a real estate artist, he has created and sold 44 oceanfront mansions on spec with an average price of $14 million. He recently announced he was unretiring and coming back to create more real estate artistry. We'll have to talk about that. And they made two short films about his comeback as well. The Frank McKinney brand has been in the media for over 30 years. He's been featured internationally in such places as Oprah, ABC's 2020, the cover of USA Today, CBS is the early show, Fox, CNN, Discovery Channel, Travel Channel, HGTV, The Wall Street Journal, New York Times, Fortune, Barron's, and he's been, appeared in over 2,900 TV and print stories as a philanthro capitalist, Frank has built 30 self-sustaining villages over the last 20 years in Haiti, providing almost 14,000 children and their families with homes, schools, clinics, community centers, churches, renewable food, and clean water. He's a best-selling author, actor, keynote speaker. He's written over eight books in seven genres. His newest book available everywhere, Adversitology, Overcoming Adversity When You're Hanging On by a Thread, is the reason Frank is here, and we're going to talk about it. My goodness, Frank, welcome to The Daily Helping. There's so much we could talk about today. I'm excited you're here. I got to modify my bio to say now 2,901 media appearances. 2901. I love it. I, I, I love it. Well, I'm excited that you're here. I'm excited to talk about your new book. There are elements of your bio that I intentionally left out. And I want to jump into the Frank McKinney DeLorean here. Let's go back in time. And I want to talk about your superhero origin story. So tell us what ultimately put you on the path you're on today. Well, I'm just a corn-fed country boy, born in Indiana, raised on a farm, oldest of six. My father worked at a bank. My mother was a school teacher until the fourth child was born, and then she was a full-time stay-at-home mom. I went to four high schools in four years, not because my dad was in the military. It's because I was asked to leave one high school after the next, after the next, 
after the next. I finally graduated with a 1.8 GPA. With that GPA, I, I couldn't pursue any form of formal education. I needed, not even a community college would take me. And before I got on that plane with a $50 bill and a one-way plane ticket, I had just walked out of juvenile detention for the seventh time between the ages of 14 and 17 years and 364 days, right? Because once you turn 18, you're going to jail. And I realized, listen, I needed to take out, if this was a metaphorical eraser, I needed to take out the eraser, turn around to the chalkboard of life and erase what was causing my prematurely, my mother to turn prematurely gray, my beautiful mother to turn prematurely gray. And that was to get out of Indiana, land in South Florida with all I could carry on my back in a duffel bag and a $50 bill and start pursuing my professional highest calling, which ultimately led me to my spiritual highest calling. So this is fascinating. So you, you get out of juvie, you hop on a plane with 50 bucks, you go to South Florida. Why South Florida? It was warm. That's the the- <laughs> as, a, as a Midwestern guy, I, I get that all too well. So, okay. But, but you said you, you found your calling. Like, how did you find your way into what you're doing now? Like, how did you find, what was that journey like for you? You know, again, we got 25, 35 minutes. The short version is I, I don't believe in the welfare mentality. I don't believe in the entitlement mentality. The system is fine. Like welfare system and entitlement systems are good for what they're intended to do, but the mentality is toxic. Meaning I was very proud to have a job digging sand traps on a golf course for 180 bucks a week that I earned the nickname, the white Haitian. And because of my work ethic, not because of my tan, because of my work ethic. I was so happy to have a job. And when I was on that golf course, Dr. Richard, you're a little younger than me, but there was a show on TV called Lifestyles of Rich and Famous. For you younger people that are watching, listening, MTV Cribs, that voyeuristic look inside the lifestyle of the rich and famous. And I wanted a piece of it. But how? With no network, no friends, no connections, no money. I watched these people come out and play golf like all day, four or five, six hours. They never seemed to work. Then I was moved to the tennis courts as a maintenance worker over there. got a 25 cent an hour raise. Same people that were playing golf in the morning were playing tennis in the afternoon. How do you get that lifestyle? I became a tennis instructor. I was a very good tennis player as a young boy. I gave all that up for the life of crime, that juvenile delinquent that I became. But I didn't forget how to play tennis. I was teaching tennis earning a hundred grand a year by the time I was 19 and a half. Uh, on that tennis court, I earned my PhD in entrepreneurship, my master's in real estate, because Dr. Richard, let's say I was teaching you how to hit a better forehand or backhand. You're 78 feet on the other side of the net. You drove up to that lesson in a Ferrari or a Lamborghini or a Mercedes. You had a beautiful Beyonce lookalike wife. You had a mansion, you had a yacht, you had 2.2 beautiful kids. How did you get to live this lifestyle? And the answer that I heard more often than not, where I earned that PhD on that tennis court by teaching people like you was, Frank, I earned my money and doing my nine to five. You know, I was a lawyer or a doctor, an inventor, but I took my money and I invested in real estate. I saved enough money baking out there in the hot sun as a tennis instructor to buy a crack house in 1987, not to smoke crack in and not to live in, but to renovate and flip. Flip wasn't even an adjective used in real estate. It was used in gymnastics. Nobody was flipping houses back in the late 80s. I got really good at the craft of real estate, Dr. Richard, to the point where I'd done hundreds of houses worth less than 100 
thousand dollars. I didn't do a house worth more than a hundred grand until I did my first oceanfront house on spec, meaning I built without a buyer in mind for two point two million. From that point forward, we've done forty four projects on the direct oceanfront of Palm Beach County with an average selling price of fourteen and a half million. So it was that epiphanous moment when I saw the lifestyles of the rich and famous. I was impressionable. I was young. I was materialistic. I was consumeristic. And I wanted that lifestyle. And it was the real estate, the speculative real estate market in South Florida that, that gave it to me. There's some things here that are really interesting to me. And you, you mentioned that you got to South Florida and becoming the white Haitian, ultimately a tennis instructor, and then flipping houses before that was a, a vogue term to use, put you on your career trajectory. But you also mentioned a spiritual path. Yeah. Tell, tell us about that. So coming from that background, in the late 90s, I had sold the most expensive spec house in the history of Palm Beach County. I was on the front cover of the Miami Herald. And back then, I'm going to use this and just imagine this is, is, is this audio or video or just audio? Uh, it'll release first in audio and we may do things with it okay. on video. Well, if for those of you just audio, imagine... Back in the late 90s, we did not read our newspapers on our phone. We read them like crackle, open the newspaper. And I was so eager to read the story about myself with my arms raised and triumph in front of this $14 million house. I open up the newspaper. On one side is my story. I'm checking to make sure all of everything's right. The picture looks good. The house looks good. They quoted me right. Richard, Dr. Richard on the left-hand side was an article about a homeless man that was being fed by a soup kitchen, a mobile soup kitchen out from underneath the overpass on I-95. I looked at my face in that picture and the smile on my face was, was fake. Like the smile on my face was contrived. The smile on my face was that of a consumerist and a materialist and an egotist. Yet the smile on the face of a homeless man was so pure. Now, since this is primarily they're listening to this, for those of you who look me up, if I let my hair go and I let my beard go and I let my clothes tear, I look I can look like a homeless person like that. There but for the grace of God go I. Why did I land on the right-hand side of the page, turn my life around, took a right turn, metaphorically and you know, literally, and here's this beautiful glowing article. And what did this other Frank do that looked just like me, a doppelganger, just like me? And yet he landed up on the left-hand side of the page. And why was I feeling, I'm not going to curse on your program, why was I feeling like, like, like dirt? Why was I feeling like that, that other four-letter word? And I went to my mentor, and I asked him, what's missing? I'm on the top of the world, yet I'm, I'm deeply depressed. I'm, I'm like very depressed at that point. He says, Frank, you found your professional highest calling. What's your spiritual highest calling? What, 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 what are you talking about? I, have no, I, I don't know what that is. I don't. No, I don't have one. And he, rest his soul, God rest his soul, he passed away a couple of years ago at 90-some years old. He says, listen, you provide housing to the ultra-wealthy who don't really need another house. You're really good at it. And you're, it's a gift God gave you. You should, you, you should keep doing it. What about those who don't have a house? I mean, you're a 1.8 GPA guy. You're a linear thinker. You're not that bright. But you do understand that to whom much is entrusted, much is required. To whom much is given, much is expected. And that moment, the light bulb went off and we started our Caring House Project Foundation. And now, as you said, Dr. Richard, we've built 30 self-sustaining villages in the poorest country in the Western Hemisphere, that being Haiti, 
providing over 13,600 children with a self-sustaining life. That spiritual highest calling, I was able to dovetail with my professional highest calling. Like I got to be a modern day Robin Hood. You talk about a superhero. I almost steal from the rich at $3,000 a square foot is what I sell for. People think we do steal from them at that price. And then I take the proceeds with other donors and we build these self-sustaining villages in Haiti. That's amazing. It is amazing. And, you know, it's, it's funny. There's, I, I have a lot of parallels as I'm hearing you talk. You know, my, my own journey was very similar and I, I've been very open about this. I was really a materialistic, horrible person until I broke my back in that car accident and realized it's not about the money. It's not about stuff. It's about helping people. That that's what filled my heart and my soul with joy. So it's it's wonderful to hear that from you. I, I want to shift gears and I know we're taking a big jump in time and and perhaps we'll do another episode where we'll keep talking about kind of the journey that you've been on. But I want to give you time to talk about your book adversitology, which is available everywhere, because I think it's important and I think it's relevant and I think so many people can relate to it. So Frank, tell us why you wrote this book. So first of all, this is the first interview I've done since the book was released on March 11th. So thank you for allowing me to be first. Adversitology. It's a made up word, but think theology or biology, ology, the study of. It's a study of adversity. Subtitle, Overcoming Adversity When You're Hanging On By a Thread. On March 11th, 2020, when the world, that was the day the world was shut down with COVID, I was given a death sentence by my doctor, chronic myeloid leukemia. My body up to that point had been covered in Teflon. My middle name was Midas. Everything I touched turned to gold. My world was destroyed in an instant. I kept that diagnosis. And what I did to persevere through it, a secret for over two years. I'm the oldest of six, Dr. Richard, and not even my brothers and sisters knew. My mom knew, my spiritual advisor knew, my therapist knew, my wife and daughter knew. Five people over the span of over two years. And I realized as I was coming out the other end of that, that physical adversity, yes, I have a degree in adversitology now. What about those who are going through financial adversity, bankruptcy, you know, losing money on a, a bunch of money on a deal, relational adversity, losing a loved one or getting divorced? Spiritual adversity can come in all forms. So adversitology isn't limited to just the physical adversity that I endured. As a matter of fact, I back-tested the thesis of adversitology on the financial adversities I had suffered back in 2010 when the real estate world was crashing. I've been married 33 years, so you better believe I've had some relational adversities with being married all that time. And it worked in those cases, even though I didn't know I was applying it. So all of your listeners, I can guarantee you one thing. You will, and already have, unless you're four years old and you're listening to this, will suffer from some form of financial, spiritual, relational, or physical adversity. I cannot help you avoid them. But what I learned going through my adversity, just like the adversities you've gone through, Dr. Richard, I can help you get through them quicker and with far less pain. It worked for me. 
after two years of keeping it a secret, I woke up one morning and said, okay, it's time. It took me, so that was two years, two years. It took me a year to write the book and to be as vulnerable and, and authentic and transparent to, to share. There's pictures of this book of me losing all my hair and wearing wigs and, you know, my hair has been my brain forever. I mean, it was devastating. But, but but I also quote, or also reference even the first chapter, this thing that I've come to realize being a truth, the adversatology quotient that says everybody on this earth goes through more or less the same amount of adversity. So if you're going through adversity right now, physical, financial, spiritual, relational, you were in this together. You will get out the other end quicker and with less pain if you applied what I did to get through that chronic myeloid leukemia. Hey guys, Dr. Richard here. For the past seven years, I've been privileged to bring you incredible guests who are changing the world and can help you become the best version of yourself. I'm really excited to share with you a new quiz that I created based on my clinical training that will curate for you a custom list of my top episodes and actionable strategies to help you wherever you are on your journey. All you need to do is go to drrichardschuster.com to take it, and it's 100% free. You'll be taking the next step on the journey to unlocking the power of you, and I can't wait to see where you'll go. So here's the magic question that everybody wants to know. What did you do? Nine chapters in the book spell out the word adversity. A, chapter A, first chapter, accept. The quicker I'm, I'm not going to give everything away. I'll give you a little highlights. The, the, the quicker I move from denial, which is a wholly natural feeling, it's fine. You need to spend time in denial because the body, the mind isn't able to process what's happening to you in your adversity. The quicker you can move to acceptance, the better. I'll give you a couple chapters. I'm not going to give you all nine. Once I was able to accept it, the, the reference I just made to my illness, I didn't speak those three words, the CML words, the entire two years I had the disease. Why? D, disidentify from your adversity. I chose to give it no power. Dr. Richard, the things we renounce are the things we empower. The things we fight, the demons we fight, are the things we give energy to. I chose my doctors. I said, no reports are going to say that, that diagnosis on them. In my meetings with my doctors every month, I had to get my blood work done. You're not going to reference it. I accepted what I had, but I chose to give it that adversity no power through disidentification. That chapter teaches you how to disidentify from the adversity. When you start to identify and absorb that into your being, that energy into your being, it may never leave. ADV, V, we'll start with the V chapter. Violate fate. There are many well-intentioned people in your life when you're going through an adversity. My case would be my doctors. Someone else's case might be the lawyer that's helping them through their bankruptcy or their divorce. That the last thing you want to do is take control of the steering wheel of your situation. You are so eager to take those controls and hand them over to somebody else. The experts, the doctors, the lawyers, the therapists, the best friend. Violate fate because sometimes the fate that's being projected upon you from well-intentioned people isn't the fate that is meant for you. 
take control back of your life, of that steering wheel, and drive that rocket ship to the fate that you determine for yourself, which is one of the reasons. Listen, my best friend died from the same disease only two weeks before I was diagnosed. And I think because I violated the, when I say violated, I had a collaboration with my, my doctor, but there were certain things that I wasn't willing to turn over to them, even when I was at my weakest moment. That's when we got, got to grab onto that steering wheel. Those are just three of the, the nine chapters. I want to take kind of a deeper dive into these three because this is interesting. Uh, I want to start with the D too, the, the disidentify, because what you said is really interesting and there's science that supports this, that language is so powerful, right? Whether we speak it or whether we think it. And what our subconscious is going to process is the word. So if, if somebody's overweight and they say, don't be fat, subconsciously, the don't be is going away. Your brain is going to take the word fat and it's going to roll with that. So I find it very interesting that you essentially said, look, I'm not saying there's three words and you know, we never speak of the leukemia. They, your doctors literally would write reports that didn't mention the words in it. I think that's, that's fascinating because you're, you're removing any, any environmental stimuli that are triggers for your brain to go, boom, there's that thing. So that's really powerful. And I, and I love that. So let me, let me jump off on what you said about the doctor part. So, so my doctor was keen enough to understand that that's how my mind worked. You know, you are a doctor. I'm not indicting doctors, yet there are those who want to play God. And yet there are those who are put here to bring out what my doctor brought out in me. The collaboration he and I had was otherworldly. So, so when I chose to, you know, I, I accepted the fact that I had the diagnosis, Dr. Richard. But I would refer to it as an unwanted guest, an intruder, not something that, I mean, those three words are so ugly. The C, the chronic, the myeloid. It's so, it's, it's just, it, my skin stands up when I try to even say the words. And I chose to then not feed what you just referred to is the subconscious mind on the existence of what was going to be for me a very temporary illness. I'm an ultra marathon runner. I've run races over 100 miles multiple times. The first day I walked out on A1A after I was diagnosed, I, it took me 33 minutes to go five blocks. But guess what? The next day, it took me an hour to go a mile. And, and, and eventually I was up to, even though I was on chemo, um, medication. I was not under, I wasn't, it wasn't intravenous. I was actually taking pills. I was able to run 25 miles, even though I had a wig on and I had band holding that wig on. I was not going to empower the demon that was in, has intruded into my body. And eventually, and I'm not talking about spiritual demon, I'm talking about the diagnosis. Eventually it dissipated and it left me. And I think it's a lot of it has to do, it has to do with all nine chapters, but that disidentification early on in your adversity is critical to putting it behind you quicker. How do you reconcile? Because on one hand, A is like, accept what's going on in your life. And D is like, eliminate all signs of that going on in your life. So those are very discrepant, right? They're polar opposites. So how long, you know, based on your findings and what you did in, in writing this book, do we 
dwell in the acceptance zone before we start disidentifying. Okay, so first of all, when, when I'm in the acceptance zone, there is backsliding into denial for quite some time. It's not black and white. You are human. I'm human. We're going to do it. And, and honestly, there, there were times when like my blood work would have a hiccup and I might be all the way down to the T chapter, which stands for time to terminate. In other words, don't let time terminate your adversity. You call time to terminate. You take control of the date. Most of your adversities in your life, Dr. Richard, and everybody listening, time passed and they eventually terminated or you died in my case. I mean, then it would have terminated. I chose to pick a date that it was terminated. There were times all the way up in those other eight chapters where I had, there, there was a bit of backsliding. There was falling back into that moment of, wait a minute, my blood work hiccuped here, a little bit of denial. It's not a perfect science, but 95% of my time, I, I think it would be, it would be myopic and it would be almost, it would be a little bit of a um, uh, disjointed. It would be, it would be uh, mental, mentally kind of ill if I said, okay, I don't have this, you know, you're not sick. No, I accepted the fact that I had something. There was an intruder in my body, but I am not going to mull on it every single day. I'm not going to, because then what am I doing? I'm empowering, I'm, I'm energizing the adversity. It's, it, so forget the health thing. You're going through a divorce. And if that's all you talk about and think about, and reference the D word every single day, guess what? Time will pass, you'll be divorced, but you'll hate men or women for the rest of your life because you identified with the process of the divorce rather than having that be a phase and adversity in your life that you put behind you proactively and you're ready for the next one. Now I know when the next adversity hits me, I, I can't stop it, but I guarantee I'll get through it quicker and with less pain. I want to talk a little bit about the V, violate fate. And you talked about metaphorically grabbing the steering wheel and, and taking that control. But in practical purposes, how do we do that? Just so, a few examples. So, so in practical purposes, in that, in that moment of your life, when you're suffering from one of those four adversities, spiritual, financial, relational, or physical, the last thing you want to do, Dr. Richard, is take control. You are wanting to pull the covers up over your head, turn on the TV, and let somebody else deal with it. Like my doctor, that's what he's hired to do. He's going to deal with it. My lawyer, he's smarter than me. You've got to resist that temptation. I did not. I'm wired in such a way where I could have said, screw you to my doctor. I'm following my own plan. I'm doing some holistic thing. I'm not taking chemo. We collaborated. He listened. I listened. I walked out of there in tears many times because he was right. But I was not going to allow some American Journal of Medicine or the, what is the JAMA? What is the, what, what's the acronym I'm looking for? Journal of American Medicine. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then ha have, have the, the statistics say, yeah, there's a person who was diagnosed with your same disease, Frank, who got better in a month. And there's a person who is diagnosed with your disease and never got better. And there's, there's a median in there somewhere. Well, listen, I'm going to do everything I can to come close to getting better in a month. And I thought it was going to take a month. Oh, you're going to take some pills. I'll be fine in a month. Well, it wasn't. I had to take this medication for two years. But I encourage you in that V chapter, 
to not allow the projection of another's fate, their, their belief about your fate on your life. You can collaborate with somebody on that, grabbing that steering wheel, but don't turn it over, completely turn it over to somebody else. You know yourself, you know your adversity, and you're not going to get through it any quicker if you just abdicate what God gave you the gift to do in the first place, which is get through this. Love this. Collaboration. Collaboration, not dictation. I'm not going to let you dictate, and I'm foolish enough to be the one to dictate sometimes the outcome. I was smart enough to realize this man, this doctor, you know, he's seen it all. He was, he was open-minded enough to understand how, what made me tick. And I cried so many times in his office when there was a hiccup in the blood, blood work. That man, that man saved, that man's collaboration with me saved my life. But we did that steering wheel thing together. I never handed it off to anybody. I'm going to screw up your acronym here, but I think you need a C in there somewhere for collaboration. But uh, <laughs> but I, I I love this, Frank. And uh, we got six more letters that people can read about. So, um, man, this was a lot of fun. As you know, I, I wrap up every episode by asking my guests one question. Frank, I'm going to ask it to you right now. What is your biggest helping, that one most important piece of information you'd like somebody to walk away with? after hearing our conversation today. If I make it quick enough, can I give you two? You sure can. Savor everything, cling to nothing. Savor everything, cling to nothing. It will help when you're going through your adversity. The other is, in life, you've got to learn to exercise your risk tolerance like a muscle. Eventually, it will become stronger and able to withstand greater pressure. The feeling of fear is, is nothing more than the thought. We, we experience fear when we think about taking a risk. Once we take the risk, the fear goes away. And when we take that, we think about taking a risk, Dr. Richard, it's usually associated with a big change or a big challenge in life. Physical, financial, spiritual, relational, dietary, blah, blah, blah. I learned that if I'm not feeling afraid, every day of my life, I'm stagnating. I just don't let that fear stop me. I look at it and say, okay, you're, you're afraid, Frank, because you're contemplating a big change or challenge. You're, you're contemplating a risk in your life. Don't let the, the, the sensation of fear that sets in once you think about taking a risk, and it can be the, the risk associated with getting over your adversity, stop you. Feel the fear. And you referenced in the, in the intro, I, I built houses on speculation you know, for an average selling price of 14 million. I have no partners. Me, the bank, and the IRS, and my, my God, that's it. So I have, I've come to, to, I have little muscles for those of you who are looking at this, but my risk tolerance is, is extremely strong because I exercise it on a daily basis. Beautifully said. I, and I'm glad you gave us both of them because they're both very, very important. Adversitology, overcoming adversity when you're hanging on by a thread is now available everywhere. But tell us where people can learn more about it online and go buy it. Here's what I would suggest that you do, because you're not just going to buy it without test driving it. So go to adversitology.com. There is a free chapter that you can read if you like to read. There's also a free Audible chapter that you can listen to. I narrated the whole book. Actually, my wife narrated her parts and my daughter narrated her parts because the one thing we didn't have time to talk about, Dr. Richard, is loved ones in your life. When I'm going through my adversity, my goodness, how they suffer. 
So they actually helped me write. Well, they they appear in every alternating chapter. My wife is in chapter one, three, five, and seven. My daughter, two, four, six, and eight. So go to adversitology.com, read the sample chapter, listen to the sample audible chapter. You can buy it from us there. Every book you buy from us provides 100 meals in one of our orphanages in Haiti, which we really didn't get to talk about, or buy it from Amazon. And after they take their cut, we're about 25 meals that we're able to provide. Uh, before we wrap, Frank, I, I know that you are heavily involved. You refer to yourself as a philanthrocapitalist and you built all these communities in Hades. But I know that people can get involved in that and support that. So tell us a little bit about that work, the foundation, and let's roll from there. I encourage you to adopt the moniker that we made up, the philanthrocapitalist. What is a philanthrocapitalist? It's taking the best of philanthropy, which is the heart. And it gets rid of the worst, in my opinion, which is charity. Charity exacerbates poverty. It does nothing to solve the problem. Taking the best of capitalism, money, getting rid of the worst, greed. You marry the two together, you're a philanthrocapitalist. We went to Haiti 20 years ago and applied this philanthrocapitalistic approach to solving poverty in the poorest country in the Western Hemisphere by building a typical village, has 50 houses, a community center, a school, a church, a clinic, renewable food, clean drinking water, and some form of free enterprise so that the village can be self-sustaining. We don't go back to help you once we're done. We go on to the next village. And I've never had to come and bail a village out. So when I, when I sell a book for $24.95, I make no money from my books, Dr. Richard. I've made my money in real estate. None of the eight books that I've written have I made a dime from. That's how we fund our charity. So you can feel real good that when you buy a copy of Adversitology, it's going to help you overcome your adversity, but you're going to provide 100 meals in one of the orphanages in one of the villages that we've built in Haiti. Perfect. And for those who want to go above and beyond that, is there a website for your foundation where people can donate? If you're on the Adversitology.com page, you'll see the header up there that talks about the Caring House Project Foundation. My bio's up there. My, my my website's been called Disney on a Desktop by PC Matic. <laughs> I mean, there's so much to see. So when you're there, you can drop down and, and carry. It, it, there's a map to show you all these all 29 villages. We're on our 30th that we built. And yes, you can you can donate from a four dollar and seventy five cent chicken all the way up to an entire village for three hundred grand and anywhere in between. So. Yeah, I mean, there, we walk the talk. There's, there's all of our financials are there. We're five hundred one c three. So go to start at adversitology.com, read about the book, and then go up to the taskbar and you can click on any other little Disney rides that you want to ride. Well, Frank, thank you so much for coming on The Daily Helping. I love talking to you. I love what you're doing, and I'd love to have you back sometime. This was a great conversation. Let's come back and finish the other chapters. Absolutely. And for each and every one of you who took time out of your day to listen to this, thank you as well. If you like what you heard, Go give us a follow on Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star review because that is what helps other people find the show. But most importantly, go out there today and do something nice for somebody else, even if you don't know who they are. And post it in your social media feeds using the hashtag MyDailyHelping because the happiest people are those that help others. 